I want to first off thank you for uh, for turning in your prayer cards. Many of you, all of you, should in your bulletin have little cards that look like this. They're the five by five cards. Our prayer cards. We're developing, restarting, relaunching our prayer team. And uh, last week we had seventy six people sign up. Uh, our previous prayer team had thirty on it, and so we've over doubled. Our, uh, our former prayer team. And so I want to thank you for signing up. Our prayer right now is for 100 uh, of you to sign up. So there's still time to sign up. Uh, just fill out this card and turn it into an usher when service is over or come up and give it to me if you'd like. Turn that in, fill that out, get that done. And make sure you uh, pass out those, those hearts. I now have two for two services. So um, I'm excited about what God has for the God loves you hearts. So, well, this morning... Uh, I have an opportunity to uh, share with you um, God's purpose for the church and what a healthy church looks like and, and give you a, a picture of that from Scripture. Uh, one of those pictures, it, it comes from the, the prayer team, uh, signing up for prayer. A prayer is so vital uh, to our spiritual lives, but it's vital to our church life as well. And uh, it, prayer, to me, is like, uh, if you don't pray, it's like owning this amazing Mac. Of course, it has to be a Macintosh computer, some laptop, MacBook, something like that. Uh, Pro, Power, ProBook, Pro whatever. I don't know. I'm not there all the way, but I'm just a MacBook person. But you own this amazing computer, and you don't have the power cord for it. And it doesn't get recharged. And it doesn't get plugged into the source. And so prayer is, to me, plugging into the source and using what an amazing uh, resource God's, God's given us. So um, I really hope that we get to that 100. And so this morning, looking at a passage of Scripture on what does a healthy church look like? And, um, and what are we as a congregation to look like in that church? Apostle Paul was a missionary. He went around sharing the gospel, planting churches wherever he went, laying on hands of elders and leading the way for the Christian movement that became a wave, a tsunami that's in our world today and around the world. He left churches wherever he went, house churches and pastors and elders and teachers to lead these churches. And one of those was a young man by the name of Timothy. And Timothy was a young pastor, leader, that was getting his licks in the game, and Paul, towards the end of his life in prison, in chains, writes two letters to him, and the second one we're going to be taking a look at is probably the last letter that he ever wrote, and he writes it to Timothy, to this young man, to give him his final words, his final address of what it looks like to fight the good fight, what it looks like to be a leader that's going to take hits and going to face trials and face adversity, but to be solid and steadfast and keep moving and to lead a church in that same direction. And in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 20 and 21, in these two short verses, Paul gives to Timothy and to us three images, three pictures that I want to take a look at and go in depth this morning with. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 20 and 21. 
In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for noble purposes, and some for ignoble. If a man cleanses himself from the latter, he will be an instrument for noble purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. He gives us three images. I want to briefly go over the first two and then emphasize the third and final image in these two verses. The first image that we see here is the image of a large house. Now, what Paul is giving to Timothy here is a familial image, not a familiar image, even though it was a familiar image to him. They all had homes and churches met in homes, but he was giving to Timothy, this young man, a familial image of what the church should look like. And the large house represents the church, the church that Timothy oversaw, the church at large. And in this, he gives the idea of a family. You see, church is meant to be like a family, gathering together, encouraging one another, giving grace to one another, giving love to one another at all times, and being peaceful at all times. Anyone else have a house like that? Yeah, me neither. With two little ones, it's, it's chasing them here and there, and now my son is now log rolling wherever he goes, and so he's getting into things that he shouldn't be getting into, and it's just starting with him. But it's been going on with Katie for a while now. We, my wife and I, we went out to dinner this last week with a couple who has four children under the age of five. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, and we were talking with the, the boy, or the oldest boy, his name's Hunter, and he had a, a cut just above his eye. And, you know, I cracked a few jokes about it and, and found out what, what, what happened. And uh, we found out that last Sunday before going to church, one of the younger boys decided to take his toy dinosaur, which I guess is pretty big, and from the second story, launched it over the railing of the stairs, and it landed right on Hunter's head, and it just started gushing blood. And of course, it's right before church as they're walking out the door. And like any good mother, this mother of these kids says, we're not missing church, drags him into the, drags him into the bathroom, grabs a couple of strips, closes it up, gives him a pack of ice and says, get in the car, let's go. We're going to church. But isn't that the case? How our homes always seem to get busy, get crazy, on Sunday mornings, of all things. Right when you're coming to be a part of this family here, the larger family of God. Life gets stressful, and a lot of times we show up with a lot of stress and a lot of burdens from the week. And right now you start thinking about the meetings, the bills, the deadlines that are coming up this week. Sunday becomes a very stressful day. But he gives them a picture of what the church should look like. And it is a place that's meant to be filled with grace, of sharpening one another, of older, wiser, nurturing the younger, disciplining those that need discipline in order for growth, in order for a larger purpose to be met. And that's what he gives as the first image here. The second image comes in the last verse and comes towards the very end. 
It talks about those utensils, and it says the utensils are useful to the master. The master of the house, the owner of the house. This is a, an important role that we need to clarify this morning, because a lot of times we get these roles mixed up. In the church, Jesus is known as the head of the body. Here, Paul says he's the owner or master of the house. But as Christians, and I've done this myself, we confuse the owner of the house with ourselves. And we take ownership. And this happens ever so subtly, but it happens to most of us where we begin to feel like we are the owners of the church. Things like serving in different ministries around the church, we feel like there's a sense of entitlement, a sense of ownership, a sense of this is my ministry. This is my class. This is my church. I've said that. Hey, will you come with me to my church? Wow. It happens in other ways. Oh, I don't go to the 9 o'clock service. I'm a 1045 person. You have a specific service that you own now at the church. Or it even has, let me get a little more specific. You have a specific seat in the church. Excuse me, you're sitting in my seat. Or you have a certain side. I challenged one of my friends who goes to this church. They always sat on the right side. And I've challenged them with that, and they're now sitting on the left side. I didn't think we were a bipartisan, you know, group here, but left and right of the aisle, down the middle. But we take that ownership and we go, that's my seat. That's my side. That's my service. This is my church. We just took offering. And many of us confuse the offering, the sacrificial giving and showing ownership of who our money actually belongs to. We confuse that with, I'm writing a mortgage payment and earning equity. And the more you give, the more equity you feel like you own of this church. I know I've gotten caught up in this so much, and this has been a personal thing for me. But one thing we need to make sure that we get very clear this morning is that we are not the owners of the church. Jesus Christ was and is and will always be the owner of this church. And we need to make sure that we honor the master with the position that he's due and not take that upon ourselves. Because if we don't get that correct, and we don't realize that he's the owner of the house and not us. The third image that Timothy's given will make no sense and won't be applicable to anyone. But if we can understand that Jesus is the owner of this house, then the third image of the utensils will make perfect sense and become crystal clear. In verse 20, it says, in a large house there are articles, not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. That word articles is from a very common Greek word. It's the word for utensils, and it's the word for tools. 
And if we get the priorities correct and we say that Jesus Christ is the owner of the house, then the utensils in the house are you. And so you're a bunch of tools. Okay, a couple of you. All right, all right. The younger one's got it. Okay. Explain it later. But seriously, this is what's being described here, is tools. Some are made out of clay and used for unnoble, unworthy purposes. Some are made out of gold and silver. Some of you have a little more silver than others. But I want you to understand this. That these articles, these utensils, these tools are not the owners of the house, but they are placed and used by the owner of the house. And it's not what kind of tool am I? The question is, whose tool am I going to be is the question for the morning. Our culture today, the commercial media has figured this out and done an amazing job for young people to feel like they're doing everything and they're thinking on their own. They're independent thinkers, yet at the same time, they look like everyone else, they dress like everyone else, they eat and drink what everyone else does, they do and say what everyone else does, yet the media says, no, you're an independent thinker, try this, do this and wear this, and look like this. And You see, our young people are told that they're tools for a different owner. And they want to blend in and look like those tools, but our owner looks very different. You see, there are three things that the tools are supposed to be, and it comes in verse 21, if you look with me. If a man cleanses himself from the latter, from the ignoble purposes, he will be an instrument, a tool for noble purposes, and then these three things, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. That idea of being made holy is the idea of being separate, being separated, being set aside, being dedicated and devoted being focused with laser point accuracy. As a tool in the church, we're called to have that same focus. We're told to become pure and have that same devotion, that same focus. Not to everything that's going on, but to the master, to the owner of the house. Then he says, useful to the master. Now, this idea of usefulness kind of becomes an abstract idea when we're talking about God and us. And, and one of the things that I learned uh, when I was in college, I had the opportunity to go live in Newport Beach and, uh, for a summer. And uh, with Campus Crusade for Christ, and there were 64 of us that lived in an eight-bedroom apartment complex. Yeah, it was packed. And we were all there from all around the nation come to be disciples of Christ and to share the good news in Newport Beach. 
And as a part of that, we each had to get jobs. We had to have a paying job. And so I found a job in construction for the summer, building seawalls for Newport, Balboa Peninsula, Balboa Island, building for the yacht club, things like that. And on my first day, I showed up. And I showed up on time like any good person, but I didn't have tools. So I was told, you need to go out and get yourself some tools. So I got myself, went out and got myself, you know, a nice tool belt. I open to put on. It's a very nice tool belt. But it wasn't that expensive, but it had two bags on it. It could hold all the nails and tools and everything that I needed. And then I bought a hammer. Now, I bought one almost like this because it was cheap. I had the good tool bag, but I bought a cheap hammer. And of course, on the second day of work, I show up and I've got this sitting in my tool bag and I pull it out and all the guys laugh. Just like you're doing. Flashbacks right now. Why? Because this doesn't serve the use. It's not useful to what I was doing. Now, this might be useful to scratching my head or my back or something. I don't know what it's for. For ice at parties, I don't know. But it isn't useful. So that afternoon, I went back to Home Depot and I returned the hammer that looked like this, and I bought myself a real hammer. Yeah. Now we're talking here. You see, there was a guy in the shop. His name was Luis. And Luis could hammer. And he had even a bigger hammer than this. But it was, it was exactly the same type of hammer. And so I went and bought that. And we would have a competition in the shop. As we were hammering forms and making forms for the concrete and things like that, we'd be hammering these nails in. And so it was always a how few, because I started out and I'm going, ding, 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 ding. They're like, no, 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 no. Two hits max. That's it. But Luis could do it in one. So he'd tap it in, get it set, pull his thumb back, and then boom, pop it in. I got up to two. I tried one. But, like, I'd shoot nails everywhere they went, hitting people, making people cry. It was horrible. But I could do it in two shots because I had figured out the use for this hammer and the weightiness of it and where to hold it and where to swing it and the arm motion for it. You see, the master of the house knows his tools and he knows how to use them. But we need to make ourselves useful to the master. You see, we sense this usefulness and we come to church and we sit around and we act like church because we had the Super Bowl last week and we probably won't have an NFL season next year. I'm going to use a sports analogy of football. But we act like we're watching Sunday afternoon, morning football. And we show up to church as if it's a sporting event and you sit there in your seat and you watch the worship band, the pastor, and those up here perform for you. And the way I know that this is the case is because I've done this myself, because I've asked myself and asked others as I left 
church. What did you think of the service? That was good. Good service, good worship. I like the style. Yep, Chad did good. Chad was funny. Sermon was good. Fall game was good. That hit was good. It was a close game. I liked it. And we say things very similar to as if we watched a ball game. And we get the idea that we come and we sit in these seats and we become the spectators of a sport. And if you don't like the channel, then we go to another church and see if that fits in. We just change the channel and go until we find one that, oh, I like this game. That's good. There's action. There's adventure. It's exciting. But we sit here and we think that we're the spectators. And that's not the use of a tool. A tool comes to be sharpened, to be honed, to go out into the playing field. And you see, you're not... Hope those kids are okay. You're not the spectators. And I'm not the performer. Jesus, God, is a spectator. And we are all the players in the sport. We're the players. Not just the players, but the players. Because you see, we get the opportunity to be the tools in the Father's hand and be used by Him. Not just here on Sunday, like we'd be watching a Sunday football game, but every day of the week out there. We get to use what God's given us and be the players out in the world. Be the tools out on the construction site where God is working and moving and building. And he's needing our help. He needs us to be out there and be who we are out there to be the tool that he can use. And sometimes, well, I'll say this. Every day of the week out there, outside of this room, we have ministries taking place. We have things, ball games, player fields out there that are players from in here are going out to and affecting people's lives. Monday night, we have high school. Actually, I'll even start with Sunday. Today, we have people that are going to be showing up for a wellness lunch. After that, we have agape training students to be those tools out in the world and use the gifts and use their voices to be out there and be tools for Christ. Monday we have high school, we have Young Life. Tuesday we have Junior High and Awana here where some of you serve and you love on kids and you care for them and you teach them God's word. Wednesday we have band practice in here up on stage. Thursday, we have college group and we have college students coming and hearing about the gospel, hearing about how much God loves them. Friday night this week, we have women gathering to bring their friends to sing along to a movie I haven't seen completely. I apologize. I keep my man card for that one, I think. But things are happening out there. Ladies in here, you have an opportunity this week 
to invite your friends, to come be a part of a community of women, to have fun at a church. There are people out there, women out there that have grown up in church, that have left the church because they didn't think it was fun. They didn't think. It goes back to being a large house and a family and loving on people. Some of you don't serve in those specific ministries, or you serve in other ministries. Some of you in here, as a tool that is useful, are a mom that cares and loves for their children and shows their children God's love for them. Or you're a dad that nurtures and cares for and directs and guides their children. Or maybe your playing field isn't out here on campus in a ministry, but maybe it's in a cubicle, sitting next to another tool who may be one of those tools that Scripture talks about uh, having ignoble purposes, unknowable purposes. You see, people that aren't followers of Christ are still tools. They're being used by a different master. And we have the opportunity to sit in a toolbox with other tools and share with them about the owner and about how we can be useful to him. One other thing I want to point out is that Timothy is also warned, just like any pastor that's in the thick of things, of being told that you need to purify yourself from all the ignoble purposes. Because it was obvious that this process of becoming a tool in the owner's hand was not an automatic thing. There were times where the tools would become dirty. And they would be, use their usefulness. And he's reminded here, purify yourself, cleanse yourself, purge yourself of all of these things. And I want to just touch on a couple things that Paul mentions to Timothy in this letter. If you flip back one chapter, chapter one, verses seven and eight, says this, for God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, his prisoner. Two things that Timothy is reminded to purge himself from, cowardice and shame, being afraid, being scared. My daughter goes through times of being scared of the dark. And this is a verse I keep reminding her of. Some of you need to be reminded of that verse as well. That God didn't give us a spirit of timidity, but of power and of love and of self-discipline. Cowardice, shame. If I was to ask you how many people you shared the gospel with this week, showed God's love to, would you be able to come up with a number? Would you be able to identify specific people that received a loving touch of God in their life through you? While I was on this summer project, we were challenged to think of a number of people that we wanted to share the gospel with in one day. And so in our small groups, we each came up with a number and our small group leader took that number and quadrupled it for everyone. It was called Facing the Giant. 
day. And it was a number that on our own power was not going to happen. Because it was scary to go up to someone you had no clue who they were and start a conversation with them. And then have a spiritual conversation with them. So you chose the number six. Your number is now 24. And on Thursday afternoon, we all came home from our jobs and then went out to the beach. Started walking up, up and down the beach, up and down the, the pier there, getting into conversations, people facing the giant and going, you know what? God has divine opportunities out there. And I think really small, but he thinks, and he can do really big things. And it was scary. It was frightening. But God allowed me to conquer those fears, conquer that shame of, I'm sharing with you, I may believe something different than you, but I believe that this is true. And I want you, I care enough about you that I want you to hear it. Some other things that he told in the same chapter 1, verse 13. What you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. One thing to make sure he's purifying himself from is wrong teaching. Keep to the good teaching. Focus on that. Get rid of that wrong teaching and stuff that was coming up in the church at that time. Some different teachings, some different philosophies, some different ways of believing, causing church to split and divide against itself. Which leads to the next couple in chapter 2, verses 14 and 16 and 17. Verse 14 says this, Keep reminding them of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. Underline that phrase, quarreling about words. The idea or the phrase that is used here is the word picture of hog tying or wrangling about words. Have you ever gotten into an argument with someone over miscommunication, mixed words, something, and it's just been pointless and you haven't gotten anywhere? It's like you've been beating your head up against the wall. He's saying, stop quarreling, stop wrangling about words. And he goes on, in verses 16 and 17, he says, avoid godless chatter, because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Watch what you're saying. Watch your words. Purify the words that you're saying because it's going to spread like gangrene. Anyone know what gangrene is? It's this giant green gang. Thank you. All right. I wrote that one down. I memorized that one. It's an infection. It's an infection that spreads rapidly. Killing. Destroying. And he uses this word when it's talking about the words that you're saying and the things that are coming out of your mouth. Purify yourself from those things so that you can become a useful tool. But because being useful isn't an automatic thing, some of us in here I know feel like, you know what, I want to be useful, I want to be devoted. But I've just, I've turned away. I've gone away. I, I've dirtied myself. I'm now a dirty utensil. I'm a I'm an unuseful tool sitting in the toolbox. And I don't think I can ever be 
useful again. I want you to hear the story of someone in our church, one of our college-age students, who's lived through some serious stuff. And I want you to hopefully be encouraged as a part of that in her story. So will you welcome up Kelly Spencer, please. Can you share your story with us? Uh, I'd like to start off by telling you I've lived a very good life. My family's been amazing to me, and we've grown up in faith and love all together. But unfortunately, we all do face some tough times, and my family's not an exception. Um, I'd like to tell you about my sister. She was a Princeton graduate with honors, any medical school of her choice, engaged, great person. She also loved God. She was a missionary to Vietnam when it was legal. She had to hide what she was doing by saying that she was teaching English to the students. She started Sunday schools. She was on fire. And then her engagement ended. And we wondered, why? Why would somebody leave an amazing woman like my sister? Um, we knew something had gone terribly wrong shortly afterwards. The world was falling apart, and I wasn't told why. Um, at the time, I was in high school. I had contracted Lyme's disease. I had spent four days every month debilitated by migraines. And I, I suffered with suicidal tendencies. Um, so my parents decided to wait a little bit so I could handle what was going on with my sister. By the time they told me, um, she was diagnosed bipolar. And not just mildly, no, they were looking to see if she had brain tumors, they were looking to see any explanation for her extreme case. Luckily, she had found a group of people that were helping her out. She had a great roommate. She was helping the doctors trace my sister's moods um, and help her get better. Uh, shortly thereafter, I learned that the community was not one of God. It was the homosexual community, uh, her partner, her roommate, um, now her wife. And I was angry with God because my sister did everything for him. She was trying, and her mind was taken away from her. The one thing that she couldn't conquer I, I told God that it was wrong, that he shouldn't have created her this way. In fact, he shouldn't have created anyone at all. Um, it was not right to let us have this ability to fall without our ability to fight back. Um, and so I succumbed to all of the pleasures of the world in college and kept yelling at God. Luckily, I had a couple of friends who kept me talking, kept me getting out my anger. And by the end of college, I uh, was invited to this church group at ABF, and I started coming. And I noticed my anger was gone, and I could start thinking about God. I started talking to him again. I didn't trust him, but that came with time. Um, 
and with the love of everyone here. And so recently I was reading a book called The Shack and it hit me. God is good and he created us wonderfully. He created us in his own image. And that wasn't our fingers and toes, that was our ability to love, be loved, our desire to create. And he even left us with an instruction manual. He left us with the Bible and anything that we didn't understand, he lets us talk to him and he talks back. And so it's been a strange journey from telling him he shouldn't have created me to loving everything he has created. But I've been thankful for it in this group. Kelly shared that story Thursday night, and I just went, the body here at ABF needs to hear that. Because a lot of us in here, we feel like we can't be useful anymore. And we put up excuses like, I'm too busy. They don't want to hear. I, I'm too old. I'm too young. I don't live close enough to them. I, whatever it is. And God wants to use you for every good work. And as an encouragement, I want to end with one last picture that Scripture gives us of this renewal. The prophet Jeremiah was telling the people of Israel to turn from their wicked ways, to turn back to God, to cleanse themselves so that they be could become useful And God comes to Jeremiah and says, Jeremiah, I want you to go down to the potter's house. I want you to go down and see him create. I want you to go look at him spinning clay on his wheel. And in Jeremiah 18, <clears throat> Jeremiah goes down to the potter's house. And he sees a potter working with clay on his wheel. Now this is a little kid's clay wheel. But it has clay on top. Moldable, shapeable, messy. Not useful in this state. And this is what Jeremiah sees. But he says, but the pot that the potter was spinning on his wheel, working with his hands, that he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. A lot of times, and if you've ever worked with clay, you know that clay needs to be wet so that it can remain malleable. And that many times when you're spinning clay on a wheel, it becomes dry, or there becomes a crack, or there happens to be a lopsidedness to it, or something comes up, air in the clay. And this is what I love about this picture, is because the potter doesn't get frustrated that his clay is hard, marred. Something's wrong with it. He doesn't just pick it up and throw it away. This is what he does. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as seemed best to him. He smashed it down and he created something different. 
something new, something useful, something that could be used by him as seemed best to him. And he wants to use you in his hands here at ABF and beyond. You're a tool, you're a player that can be used by him. You can be reshaped and remolded into what he wants for you if you only give him permission. Let me pray. Father God, like the clay in the potter's hand that wasn't thrown aside, that wasn't gotten rid of, but that was reshaped and remolded into something that was useful. God, help us to be tools in your hands that can be used by you that's devoted to the owner of the house that's dedicated to your service that's ready and prepared for every good work God thank you for Kelly's story for reshaping her and remolding her and using people here at ABF to speak love and truth into her life. God, we pray for her sister that you would reshape her and remold her and draw her back to you. For those in this room that need to be reshaped and remolded, May they get rid of those things in their life that are not honoring to you. Cleanse themselves, purify themselves so that they can be devoted to the owner of the house. Useful to the master. Prepared for every good work. God, not only do we give you our hearts, we give you adoration, and praise. May you take our lives, all of it. May you be encouraged this week to spend time with the owner of the house, spending time in his word. As a church, we're reading through the book of Matthew right now. And at the bottom of my outline, you'll see the reading plan that Pastor Roland set forth last week. We're praying that you would be blessed by the gospel and continue through Luke and Acts. Awana, our program here, approved workmen are not ashamed. Comes from 2 Timothy 2.15. And I want to encourage you with this verse as we leave. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved and useful. A workman, a tool, who does not need to be ashamed 
and who correctly handles the word of truth. May you go out there to the playing fields, to the construction zones, and be a tool in the Father's hand this week. God bless you. Thank you.